Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are gathered here in your name. Thank you for the privilege that we've had to sing your praises and to bring our concerns before you and our thanksgivings. Lord, now as we turn our attention to your word, I ask that your Holy Spirit would help us hear what you would have us hear for your glory and your honor. Take this time, in the name of Jesus, be glorified. Amen. Our scripture this morning is from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Thus ends the reading of the word. Before I go into today's message, I'm going to give you an assignment. I need you to think of at least three things that you are thankful for, thankful to God for. Write them down if you need to. If you have more, that's okay. At some point during this message, we are going to do an exercise, and it'll make sense at that point. So think of those three things you are thankful to God for, and then keep them ready. I'll, I'll wait a second while you do that. Okay, 
One of the things that people do when they really want to make a point is that they repeat themselves, usually in an effort to convince the hearer of the importance of their point, often with a slight variation because there's a nuance that the speaker wants the hearer to not miss. Sometimes it is a repetition of the order. So they, they say step one, then they go back and say step one, step two, then step two, step three, and they repeat that way. There are many other reasons as well, but normally, and biblical scholars and speech writers will agree on this, if something is repeated, it's usually done intentionally because the speaker thinks that what he is repeating is very important. Well, Paul repeats himself a lot. He repeats key doctrines, such as that our salvation is by grace through faith, and teachings related to the church, and teachings related to the law, and imagery of the body. Those are just a few examples where Paul repeats himself multiple times. In fact, uh, we've been experiencing Paul's repetition in the last few messages with the repetition of the list of don't-dos and do's, which even sounded a little bit like the text that I just read. Paul also says a whole bunch of stuff which he does not repeat or repeat as much that is also incredibly important. They are pools well worth diving into, which is what we're going to do today. This means, however, that I'm going to be skipping over a whole bunch in our text, some of which we have kind of covered already because of Paul's repetition, but others simply because there isn't time. My, my goal has not been to do a study of the book of Ephesians, which we may do one day since I've been skipping over so many important parts. But the goal has been to, to focus on things that the, had the Ephesian church paid more attention to, they might not have received that letter of rebuke from Jesus in the revelation given to John in which they were rebuked because they had forgotten their first love, him. With that in mind, today we are going to be focusing on the first two verses and the last four verses of our text, and, and not even in that order. What we will cover today will also tie into what Bob Durier will be talking about next week, which is a, a correct response to the scriptures, as well as what I will be talking about in, in two weeks when I will be addressing godly relationships as addressed in the end of this chapter and the beginning of chapter 6. But before I get into the main points of today's message, I, I want to make a few brief comments on the text that I will basically be skipping, verses 3 to 11. In these verses, Paul says a number of things that sound like repetition of the do's and the don'ts that we've been addressing in prior weeks. This time, though, there is more emphasis on what the whole body's life should look like more than just the individuals. We hear this emphasis, for example, in words like among you in verse 3 that begins the section. And basically the point is made that as a group, we are to behave, we are not to behave like the world, but like who we really are, the church, a group, a group holy and set apart. I know that's repetition, but it's because it's important. Paul also says that the church is not to be unwise as they make the best of the times, which he says are evil. 
the church should not be wasting our days doing the don'ts, but we should get rolling on the do's before it's too late. Not, not for us, because our future is already set because of who we are in Christ, but for the world that is perishing. There is no time for us, the church, to be foolish or to get sucked into the world's evil behaviors because we need, we need to understand what the will of the Lord is and do it with the hope that the world will see Christ as his body behaves like who we really are. Then in verses 18 to 21, Paul delineates some things about what our life as the body of Christ is to look like. And I'm going to read those verses again. I'm going to start in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to, the God, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I, I need to point out that this is one of those sections of Scripture that gets grossly misused to support things that the text is absolutely not saying. The obvious one is, is by those who use this text to argue against drinking alcohol. This section is not addressing the rightness or wrongness of drinking alcohol. At most, it says, don't get drunk. But an even bigger abuse of this text is when it is used to support a very popular false teaching of being, quote, drunk in the spirit, which is very popular teaching currently coming out of, for example, Bill Johnson's church in Redding, California, Bethel Church which is an organization that has impacted and misled hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions. This heretical teaching of being drunk in the spirit has been popular for decades in Pentecostal church settings, for instance, under the, the false teaching of Kenneth Hagin, for instance, who he's been dead for two decades now, and, and he misled thousands, if not millions, into his heresies from the prosperity gospel to practices like this getting drunk in this spirit thing. These folks have concluded that the text that I just read, that, um, that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit manifested himself with tongues of fire and those that saw them assumed that the disciples were drunk, that was because the disciples were, according to these false teachers, behaving and looking like they were drunk. They then used this text comparison of being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit as proof that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it can manifest like you are drunk, when, which includes nonsensical babbling, falling down, sliding out of your chair, slurring your speech, barking like a dog, laughing uncontrollably. And, and I'm not making this stuff I, up. I'm not kidding. If, if you have not seen the videos of proponents of this belief behaving like that in the pulpit or on the stage or at Bethel Church in a pile on the floor or Kenneth Hagin stammering and spiritual drunkenness or some other things, you, you need to believe me that this is a, 
real thing among hundreds of thousands and likely millions who call themselves Christians. Maybe at times I, I really wonder, and, and, and this practice is, is at best demonic. Well, when Paul said that we should be filled with the Holy Spirit, he absolutely did not mean that we should look and act drunk. What he meant is actually right there in the text. It was first, and this list is not exclusive, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we, the body of Christ, will address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts. That is what has become our spirit-filled singing and worship, like we just had. When Paul wrote this, the, the times of singing were perhaps more frequent and likely included more than a handful of songs like we do on a Sunday morning, and it definitely included a lot more singing of the psalms. But it was, at its core, praising God through song, and not just through the motions, but with their hearts and making melody, not disharmony or clamor, heartfelt, inspired music to God as an act of praise and adoration and recognition of who He is. In fact, singing is so important and special that God even ordained a whole bunch of Levites with the task of doing just that, singing, as part of the proper worship at the temple. A Spirit-filled church will sing praises to God. A Spirit-filled church also gives thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is something powerful in giving thanks. After Ruthie died, I, I spent months trying to process it all, avoiding, procrastinating, endlessly watching NCIS, even trying to be angry at God, which didn't really seem to work. I did all the, the stages of grieving. Then one day it hit me, give thanks. And I did. When, when my heart was sad, I went into thanks. I would say, thank you, Lord, for Ruthie. Thank you for the time we had. Thank you for our children. Thank you for salvation. Thank you that I'm still here. Thank you for the things that I had. And I just continued. It delivered me. It, it took me to a new level as I thank God for all his blessings, good and bad. It was also much more consistent with who I am in Christ than with me being mad at God or feeling sorry for myself. This is also the case for believers as a body when we give thanks to God and take our eyes off of ourselves and our problems and put them on the things that God has done for us. Remember those things I told you to think about that you are thankful for? Well, we're going to do something I've never done before in the middle of a sermon, but you will hopefully understand. After a few moments of silence, I will pray first, and then I'd like you to pray. Simply pray out, one at a time, out loud, those things that you are thankful for. Say one, wait a few moments, and say another, and, if, and pray in the name of Jesus. Don't worry if more than one person happens to speak. Just let the other finish and then immediately start up. 
as soon as you're done, someone else will immediately start. Keep it brief and simple and say it from the heart, and, and I'll end it by saying amen. You, you got it? Okay, let's pray. Thank you for this church in the name of Jesus. Father, we just thank you. Our thanks are endless. For your kindness to us is endless. Amen. That is what a spirit-filled church sounds like. That's what Paul meant. Being filled with the Spirit for a group of Christians should result in lots of thanksgiving to God and in the name of Jesus. Finally, the issue of, of, the, of this section, the issue of submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. For now, I, I want to point out that, because we're going to be looking at that in two weeks when we go into the relationships, but... Behind this submitting to, to one another is the idea of doing it out of reverence for the Lord. And it is really about us, not the person or group we are submitting to. It means having a disposition that says, because Jesus is glorious, and because he submitted himself even unto death for me that I might have life, and it will honor him if I serve and submit to that person, I will submit to them. That's hard for us to do. But when a community of believers is being led and influenced by the Holy Spirit, this mutual submission brings glory to God and honors the name of Jesus. We as a, as a group are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it will result in singing praises to God, thanksgiving in the name of Jesus, and out of reverence for Christ, submitting to one another. When we do that, we really reflect who we are to the world that needs to see Jesus. Finally, I, I want to look at the, the first two verses of our text. And let me read them again. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God as beloved children. While waiting for a flight a few months ago, I saw a boy about 10 years old sporting the same cowboy hat, cowboy boots, same jeans, same belt buckle as his dad who stood right next to him. And I'm not sure he could have looked more proud. And I'm not talking, I mean, I'm not sure whether it was the boy or the dad who was more proud. Candidly, this was really cool, particularly in a day when too frequently one's father figure is not who we want to be. But we have a heavenly father who was way cooler than a dad with cowboy boots. And we are his children. 
And he loves us. And he provides for us. And he nurtures us. And he encourages us. And he makes us better. And he saved our lives. He's a hero. No, wait. He, we were dead. And he raised us to new life. A better life. He even gives us our breath. And he is way more powerful and smart and patient and kind than any other father could ever be. And he is the king. Not, not a king or a ruler of something, but the king of kings. And we are his children for whom he sincerely wants the best. If we really thought about all that, about how wonderful he is and what he has done for us and the fact that once we were not his children and then he made us his children after delivering us from the father of lies who only wanted to destroy and imprison us. If we really thought about all that, we would not want to put on a Satan costume and behave like a jerk and do all the don'ts that Paul told us not to do. And as a group, we would not want to form a mob like the Antifa thugs and go destroy stuff. If we, as a group, God's children, really thought about our Heavenly Father, we would want to be like Him. But imitating our Father in Heaven isn't as simple as putting on cowboy boots and a hat. That is where the next line comes in. The way to be like our Father is to, according to verse 2, to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. It is not with quarreling and immorality and covetousness, the behaviors of those who are the sons of disobedience, as the middle of our text says. It is in behaving like Christ, acting like Him, walking like Him, which is volitional, something we choose to do. And bear in mind, Paul is implying the group does this as well as the individual. We are to walk in love. Does, does this mean swooning? Does this mean the goofball sensuality we see in the movies? Not at all, and you, and you know that. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's what it means for us to be the church, to love like that. And if we want to see what that love really looks like, we need to look at Jesus. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Read them and pay close attention attention to our Lord. And we need to behave like Him. There is also this issue of it being a sacrifice. 
What makes a sacrifice something other than merely burning a bunch of grain or shedding the blood of an animal or giving money is not the actual thing presented, but the reason behind it. The Old Testament term that is translated as sacrifice includes a definite meaning of drawing near to God or the intent to draw near to God, to approach Him for thanksgiving or confession or restitution or whatever reason you're offering the sacrifice. A true sacrifice is offered in reverence and with the hope of being restored to God, to draw near to Him, to eliminate the barrier, to show affection and appreciation. It's more than just killing or burning something. It's an offering, a giving, a presenting to God for God's possession. This is yours, meaning it is no longer ours, but His. And in this case, the item being presented, offered, brought to the place where it is no longer ours but God, is us as a group, as individuals, as we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we're doing that, we're saying, here we are. That is a fragrant offering. But God does not have a nose or care about smelling incense or smoke. In the same way, though, that the, the smell of the offering filled the air, so does the scent of a true sacrifice of a believer and a group of believers when we draw near, placing ourselves on the altar for God's possession. We are His. It is pleasing to God. It is pleasing to God when we walk in love as Christ loved us. It fills the air and God receives it as a pleasing sacrifice, a fragrant aroma when we submit to each other and behave as His children should behave. That's why we do it. It pleases Him. We have a good Father The context of all of what we've been looking at and talking about today follows upon Paul's call for us to be who we are as the body of Christ and to be who we are as individuals, parts of Christ's body. We need to do the things that the Spirit of God tells us are consistent with who we are and stop doing the things that are not consistent with who we are. When we do that as individuals, as a group, we are presenting ourselves as a sacrifice that God will find a fragrant and pleasing offering. We prayed earlier, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed is a funny word. It, it means honored, spoken well of, referred to, reverenced like it should be. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, we are not asking that God's name his being, his essence, be more hallowed, that's not possible. He is already as hallowed as can possibly be. What, what we are praying is that the world who has rejected him will turn to him and honor him and hallow him. We are praying that the church, Christ's body, would reflect him and make him known as we give him the reverence and respect and glory that is due Him. 
And we're praying that our lives would hallow him, that when people see us, they would say, those people serve an amazing God. Our text today is calling us, reminding us to behave like children of our hallowed Father. And as his children, who should rightly adore him, to imitate him. We should and we would if we thought about him more. Then we are to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Verse 19 says, we need to make the best use of the time because the days are evil, and, and they are. Because of this, we should be diligently praying to be filled with the Spirit. And we will sing songs of praise, and we will give thanks, and we will submit to and honor each other out of reverence for Christ, and the world will see him before it's too late. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what can we say but thank you that you have called us and made us yours. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Holy Spirit, fill us. Manifest yourself in us through singing and thanksgiving and serving each other. For your glory. Amen.